from the parking lot. To the tunnel. Check it out. Have fun. Unleash. Let's go. To the 50-yard line. On the field. This is your field pass with DCI's Dan Potter. Welcome to the Field Pass. I'm Dan Potter with DCI's Michael Boo and Jeff Griffith as we are reviewing the 2019 Drum Corps International audio releases available both as downloads and as CDs. We'll tell you how to get them in just a moment, but we're going to look this time. We've been taking one core from each of the four CDs in this set uh, and reviewing them in each podcast. So disc four, three, two, one. That's how we're doing it. This time it's Legends, the Academy, the Cadets, and Santa Clara Vanguard. We begin with the core that finished 21st in 2019. Okay, guys, another open class core legends show in 2019 song of the siren. Michael, why don't you go first this time? I thought this was a very pleasant show. Anytime you have waves crashing and the uh, distant singing of the sirens and other oceanic sound designs, uh, they have, a, they have a really good sound designer by the name of James Pluth, who uh, really conveyed the sense of the seaward vessel heading for disaster at the beginning of the show. And, and those sounds were were really, you know, they kind of, uh, especially with the uh, crashing waves, kind of put you at rest, but then very quickly bring you to the feeling that something bad is about to happen to the people on the field. And that's, that's interesting that we could do that through electronics, which uh, I don't know if we would have been able to do anything to convey that prior to the use of electronics. And then the sweet and seductive female voice that led it to the powerful brass impact of La Mer. It, it was just so expertly done. And uh, I often refer to what Blue Colts have done with electronics. Uh, and I, I felt that these folks at, uh, at Legends were really paying attention to that because they made it their own. JF Legends has been known for quite a while for their visual innovation. I think they're starting to be recognized, as, as Michael just pointed out, for their acoustic and musical innovation as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that didn't just start this year. I mean, you look at even the last couple years, uh, last year sticks out to me um, doing uh, Along Came a Spider. Um, they did a really good job that year of using sound design to create kind of an ominous, kind of ethereal, that kind of, that kind of aesthetic that they built. Um, and it carried over even further into this year, exponentially more so. I feel like this year, um, Mike, you mentioned a lot of those kind of ocean sounds. The point that really stuck out to me in terms of really building that kind of feeling was the ballad, uh, which people, a lot of people recognize from Kiana Crown 2013. It's a beautiful arrangement they used of um, the finale from The Abyss, Alan Silvestri. Um, and like you mentioned, they just did such a great job of using some really like ethereal oceanic samples to make things not only feel underwater, which is doing which is one thing, but making you feel stranded underwater and feel trapped underwater, which is kind of more of the, you know, you know, kidnapped by the sirens 
side of things. Whereas, you know, if it's just, I feel like just, just the ocean and then what Legends did are two different things. And they did a really good job of, ma of making that specific feel. It's not only underwater and undersea, but somber and introspective. Um, but I think just all those things considered, they did a really good job of creating the feeling they wanted via different forms of sound design. think of the um oh in, in the christina aguilera genia bottle they had a lot of rather innovative metallic sounds in the percussion that uh was almost like um striking sticks on a bottle on the bottle that the genie was in to summon it yeah so there were a bunch of really interesting little tidbits like that 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 i found very intriguing now jeff you had mentioned that they had uh that Carolina Crown, you know, we remember them from their championship show. It's this nice. show, more than any other all season, utilized music that was performed by other cores. Like La Mer was uh, 96 Santa Clara and a 2016 Jersey Surf. Pure Imagination was a vanguard in their 2015 Tesla show. And again, Jersey Surf did that in 2012. Uh, Aquarium, the Academy did that in 2010. The finale from the Abbas, uh, not only Carolina Crown in 2013, but last year's 7th Regiment. And then the closer of the symphony number no. 10 of Shostakovich, the second movement, you had Blue Knights in 07, Boston Crusaders in 12, Cadets in 2015, and Seattle Cascades just two years ago. And to me, uh, what a, you know, this is all music that has proven itself, but on the field, but I don't feel that the core staff was necessarily thinking of that when they discovered these anew for this particular production because they certainly made it their own. Yeah, definitely. And I think you did mention one piece earlier that was kind of the outlier in that sense, uh, the genie in the bottle, Christina Aguilera. Um, like for the most part, you had this sampling of pieces that we either knew pretty well or from drum corps or you could pick it out and be like, oh yeah, now that you mention it, I remember that from, because for example, I didn't necessarily recognize um, Shostakovich's 10th when they played it, but then I looked at the, their repertoire and I'm like, wait a minute, Cadets played that. And then I listened back, I'm like, yeah, I recognize that now. Because like you said, they did it in a very them way. And a very, it wasn't necessarily like, all right, that's how they played it. Let's do it the same way and create the same moment, you know? But the Genie in the Bottle movement was so unique to me because on one hand, that's not a song we've ever heard a drum corps do. And on another hand, I feel like it's not a song, a type of song we've really heard legends do in terms of the style. Um, and so between using, but they didn't necessarily use it in a very pop way. It had a kind of a, kind of an ominous feel to it, kind of a, kind of an in your face feel to it. And they sampled her voice too. Um, so really interesting, not only the way they used music we're used to, both between 
their style and drum corps as a whole, but the way they were able to tie in some, you know, unique, more modern music too, in a in a very unique Legends y way. I'm curious, and let me ask both of you guys this. And as you talk to designers and and composers and uh, core directors, I'm looking at their repertoire and I'm thinking, okay, Legends is an open class core. Their budget is not what some of the world class cores might have. And so you start thinking about licensing and and what's in the public domain. We have Debussy here. We have Camille Saison. We have Shostakovich. With the exception of uh, Pure Imagination and the Christina Aguilera tune, I guess maybe Alan Silvestri, too. The Abyss was uh, yeah. not 75 years old, certainly. Um, th- how much does public domain and, and cost factors weigh in decisions about what music's programmed in a show? Michael, start with you. I, I really don't think it does play into their consideration. They want what they feel is best for their core. If they're going to have to pay a little extra for it, then, then they're gonna, they're, they're not gonna let that hold them back. Jeff. Yeah, I think I don't think I've ever necessarily explicitly heard um, designers of some of the maybe, you know, the open class level budget type of core. I, I you know, I've I spoke with Spartans designers. Now, granted, Spartans didn't really have any public domain that I could think of. But um, as another example, to your point, Mike, of a core. And now we'll get to them, but they, you know, they didn't, they threw caution to the wind when it came to some of the pieces of music they chose. Um, and I spoke to Legends designers uh, before the season, and not that I'd expect them to bring that kind of thing up, but they definitely described their reasoning for picking the pieces they did in detail regarding each piece thematically. So I don't know, I'm sure it helps, and I'm sure it's definitely like, you know, a nice, oh, sweet, this thing's public domain. I'm glad, you know, we can save some money on that and also get the piece we like. But they definitely have explicit reasoning for the pieces of music they choose. I think a lot of those designers, that's almost more of a positive byproduct than anything. If they started with the notion that we have to save money by picking stuff that we don't have to pay rights for, these shows would be very, very different and not as effective. show uh, if i was to summarize it they're they're falling under the siren spell and it's it's very very intense but then they're coming out of it the uh, the final triumphant statement of lemaire uh, the core has reached the surface and escaped the clutches of the wicked sirens once for all and so it it has you going into the depths and coming out and in that sense it's almost the aquatic version of what Colts did. And competitively, Legends finishing 21st in 2019, Jeff. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, the um, from a this was a, a good year for them from both the overall perspective and the open class perspective, and it turned on late in the season. Um, looking at the open class side of things, um, this was you know they were kind of now obviously there's not much of a sample size with open class because they don't see each other a lot leading up to championships, but generally speaking, when they would compete with Spartans and Gold, they'd be in that third slot. They'd be kind of. We we went into open class championships expecting legends to get bronze, and coming out of prelims in open class championships, they were in the bronze. But they jumped to. They were the only, if not the only, one of the only cores to make a jump on open class finals night. They moved into second, which is an all time best open class finish for them. Uh, they won their first ever open class caption award. Twenty uh, first was their best finish ever. Seventy eight point four was their best final score ever. This was four out of the five, last five years. They've gone to semis. They've got three open class medals uh, in the last four four years, uh, and this is only their twelfth year coming to championships. So, it's pretty awesome to see a core that's, you know, a little more than a decade old really establish itself not only as a staple among the open class top tier, but also a staple among the top 25 and close to the top 20. Guys, let's move to disc number three, finishing 15th in 2019, the Academy. Building Bridges on the field. The show is called The Bridge Between. Very interesting show and very different kind of show from the Academy, who we've come to uh, you know, the last couple of years. They've almost had a whimsical um, style and motif that they put on the field. Uh, this time it was much more thoughtful, much more reflective, Jeff. Yeah, I've had the opportunity the last two years. Uh, I went to school in Arizona, so I've kind of been able to cover the Academy for DCI when I haven't been in office with DCI. Um, and... So that means the last two summers, uh, last prior to the last two summers, I've gotten the chance to really dig into the sh the early season expectations for the show with the Academy, meaning with their program coordinator, Lindsay Vento. Talking to her before 2018, the whole idea there was her first year with them, and the whole idea there was the show was academic, and the intention there was to have kind of bring her design style to that show, but let it still be the Academy. So there was uh, there was levels of that where it was that whimsical, like you're talking about. It was like 16 and 17 um, that had kind of that um, cheerful, not cheesy, but definitely accessible style. 2019, both in terms of the way the show is designed big picture and the way it's designed as kind of a thread was meant to be the bridge from that old academy huh. to Lindsay Vento's academy, if you will. Lindsay and Steve Vento's academy, uh, the, a new academy. I don't want to pin it all on one person, but that's what that that's what they were telling me in the early season, that this show was not only meant to be um, visually about bridges, conceptually about the idea of what a bridge is, um, but it was also their way of bridging mid-2010s academy to what they want to be. And you see that kind of happen throughout this show. Yeah. Opener is very drum corey. It's very it's very um, similar to what we expect from them. By the end, they've got electronics in there. They've got um, they're doing different things choreographically. And you see kind of the way the show is designed change throughout start to finish. And I feel like a lot of people might have missed that. because That's one of those things where it kind of sometimes means more to the core than it does to the fan. Um, 
But that made knowing that made this show a lot more memorable for me. I know Lindsay Vento very well from her work with bands in the Tulsa area, Union and Owasso, and now with Blue Springs outside of Kansas City. And yet, yeah, now that you mention that, Jeff, I can definitely see year to year uh, more of her influence. And if if anyone has seen any of the Blue Springs performances at BOA Grand Nationals, I think you'll get a sense of where Academy stylistically is headed, and it's a very good place. Michael, what did you think of the bridge between? It, it certainly wasn't cute like the rabbit and the, the hair show, uh, buy a hair, mm -hmm. or even uh, their show last year. Uh, it was certainly much more introspective. And when I talked to them about it, uh, I was told that we, you know, throughout the segments of the show, we hear and we see, saw the bridges being built and experienced the work of the angst of building a structure of such magnitude. But it wasn't really physical structures as much as emotional structures, emotional bridges. Bingo. And so they they would cross over those bridges, which were, I was told, representative of the Corps' vision and efforts to strive for progress and growth artistically. So they certainly realized that to move up, they they needed to grow artistically in a sense that uh, they they were stretching their legs. If I had to pick one performer, if I were stranded, you know, the old question, you're stranded on a desert island, you can only w listen to one thing. If I could only listen to one musical performer for the rest of my life, it'd be Paul Simon, just because of the variety of his music and, and it resonates with me. Um, I would love to see a show that's all Paul Simon, but I will take Bridge Over Troubled Waters as, uh, you know, uh, an appetizer in the meantime. That treatment of Bridge Over Troubled Waters from the Academy was special. Oh, I loved it. I mean, because they, they brought it in the ballad as it was kind of like there. It was kind of like a lot of shows use their ballad as kind of a cornerstone. You know, you kind of turn from one thing to the next via the ballad. And this felt like that. Um, there's a moment... And it, I don't know if this was intentional, but the fact that the core kind of gradually, slowly throughout this ballad, uh, while it's growing and you're hearing the melody played out by a soloist, a very good soloist, by the way, they kind of make their way to the front and kind of almost break a barrier on the way to this impact moment. And there's this brass run at, I want to say the timestamp, I wrote it down, 708. It's a high brass run, kind of exposed, that brings you into this finally, it's like here, it's this resonant bridge over troubled water chorus. Every time I heard that, I got chills. I would contend this was their best playing core I ever heard, uh, just in terms of musical ex musical execution. Um, 
just looking at some of the past several years, they did such a great job with very intricate music. And that's a prime example of that. But like you said, Dan, I love the way they used uh, Bridge Over Ford Water. They bring it back in the closer, too, mm-hmm. as kind of a resonant, um, what's the word, kind of uh, tying everything together, um, bringing back that that cornerstone melody uh, in a much more, in a different key, a much more like um, cheerful, positive key. Uh, and I love the way they brought that back as kind of a reprise. Well, what they were doing there was inviting us into their personal growth, mm-hmm. their their journey, their uh, the progress that they're hoping to make. What I found so interesting about the bridge over troubled waters is we we know that the cadets who are a top twelve core also played it this year, and yet Academy's rendition was so very very different, totally different emotional impact. Uh, it had a totally different way of playing on the audience. And we'll discuss the comparisons when we uh, talk about the cadets, which happens to be the next core we're gonna discuss. Before we leave the Academy, and Jeff, you brought up that high brass run. And it made me think of a topic that I've, I've wanted to talk with you guys about for, for a while. And that is the notion of compulsories, which Michael, you cover figure skating, you know about compulsories. Yeah. Does it feel lately, the last five years or so, that you can pick out those compulsory moments in a show where, okay, this is being done to show our technical prowess. And I guess the trick is doing that seamlessly and making it, you know, a part an entertaining and logical part of the show. Like the mellophone sustain. Yeah. The mellophone sustain is one. The high brass run is, is another, the, uh, pulling the battery right up to the front sideline and, and doing eight counts of really intricate stuff is another. It just seems like, if and maybe maybe I'm just getting more savvy in my old age. It's easier to pick those moments out. Well, we we've had them in every decade. Back in the '80s, the big thing was you'd have the horns playing something in a, a relatively slow tempo. That suddenly you'd have the drums going across the field in a very quick tempo, not even related to the beater that the mm-hmm. horns were playing. And uh, I remember cadets doing that first. And then a whole bunch of cores did it. It was kind of a compulsory movement. Every every decade, we, we run into those where someone does something and then others note it and they pick up on it. Okay, let's move to disc two and the ninth place core from 2019, The Cadets. The show was called Behold. Fanfare for the Women, uh, Just, Blueprint, Dance One from Orchestral Suite, uh, Suite by Hinastera, Bridge Over Troubled Water, we'll talk about that again, uh, Do Better, and then the finale was from uh, Maslanka's Fourth Symphony. 
Jeff, let's go first with you. Your thoughts. I mean, for me, I'm a percussionist, and Cadet's percussion to me has to be the standout. You mentioned a lot of great pieces of music, and there were a lot of good musical moments, but I could not stop listening to this percussion section, especially the battery. They felt, I mean, they were so clean, so in your face, like you'd always want a Cadet's... Let me stop you right there before you finish that thought, because this is the thing that blows me away when I listen as opposed to watching. When I listen to the CDs or the audio downloads, I am always amazed by how feather light the batteries sound, especially cadets. I think you hit on a very good point here, and they can be in the back of the field uh, traveling 200 beats a minute sideways and playing the lightest, tastiest riffs on snare. And somehow you hear that clear as a bell in the uh, audio offerings from DCI. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. They, they did such a good job with, with both those moments you're talking about and some of the bigger moments. They, I mean, what, what personally I've come to love about Cadet's percussion is some of just the, just some of the in-your-face percussive moments. I think about um, Do Better, the original percussion break they have. Um, the, the, the melody of it all never really stuck with me, but some of the battery passages and, and some of the front ensemble stuff too, it's intricate. I think about the, the, the tenor feature there. And I know in the in the finals video, uh, I think it's Prospery is the percussion judge. He's standing right in front of the tenors and you can see him reacting to this intricate, difficult, in your face tenor feature. section I, I mean if we're gonna say they took fifth and there weren't many captains this year boston crusaders color guard maybe being one that finished four spots above the core's overall finish um and you could tell they wrote for that they definitely knew that that was gonna be a strength and they picked out uh we talk about compulsories um they definitely picked out moments where they could really feature the battery and i feel like that drum break was one i just i i, I loved watching them in the lot we have a lot video of theirs that went on facebook that got a tons of views because if there was one thing that everybody loved about the cadets this year it was just how strong their percussion section was jeff i have uh, one for you that i think is even uh, was even more substantial and that was uh, in astancia the uh, shifting triple rhythms mm. very fierce um they in the original, they suggest the machismo of the Estancia's workers and the rough and tumble nature of their everyday work life. Now, that had nothing to do with Cadet's show, but those shifting triple rhythms in the drum line during Estancia were, were so aggressively done, but so tastefully held back that you're you're just waiting to, what, what are they going to do next? And I, I thought that's a, a really brilliant part of their drum writing. Dance one that you're talking about from Estancia by Hinesera right. is followed by Bridge Over Troubled Water. Now, uh, earlier in this podcast, obviously, we were talking about Academy's version of Bridge Over Troubled Water. Mike, this was a very, very different arrangement. Very, very much so. And it was really background 
to seeing the uh, primary woman in the show uh, repairing the damage to the castle where she was building a bridge and then repairing the relationships within the community by inviting people to cross over the bridge. So this this woman who was basically uh, usurped by her people because she was uh, a ruler who we could read into it that she didn't really have the people in mind as much. And when they rebelled, she had some damage to repair. And so as the show progressed, uh, people were, the peons were brought into the circle. And there was less distinction behind, between the upper level of the ruling party, the, the upper crust and the serfs. And so that all happened, that transition all happened during Bridge Over Troubled Water, which had to do with coming together and being redeemed, being cleansed, which the cleansing part was in the gospel section. And so uh, she realized her part in the destruction of the social fabric of the community earlier and was asking for forgiveness. Jeff, this is where the guard made that river of blue under the bridge. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. And that that I was told that that blue represented water cleansing the soul. And from there on, the core is redeemed. And that's when the female character passed the symbol of uh, man and woman to the whole core. It represented the new generation overcoming the divisiveness of the past. Brilliantly done. Musically speaking, you mentioned the gospel section. That's, to me, what sticks out as the biggest musical difference between the way the cadets handled it and the academy handled it. And I remember we toyed around in the preseason with some different social media ideas to get conversation started. We thought one of the things we thought about doing was taking chorus that were doing the same music and, like, who are you more excited to hear? Just a little Twitter poll. We never did it, but it was interesting to me. Once I heard the academy and the cadets do Bridge Over Troubled Water, they were so different that I didn't even want to compare them. Yeah. Like the academies True. was yeah, absolutely. We talked about the academies was so um, emotional and 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 lyrical, and the cadets was more. Um, you know, it, it started out the same way, and it carried that same kind of quiet, you know, peaceful feel that you know the song generally carries. But then it goes into that gospel section, and you talk about you know some of, there's there's these big soloists, and it didn't even feel like it was the same song that Academy played by the end of it in a good way for both course. Uh, I want to address something that. Uh, we hear in the CD that I, I found really the most fascinating thing because I went in and looked up the origins of the piece, and that was the fanfare for the woman by Libby Larson. Uh. The original was uh, for solo trumpet, and it, it was written for the dedication of the University of Minnesota Women's Sports Pavilion back in 1994, and it was a solo trumpet inside this cavernous pavilion. Oh, wow. 
I believe that this arrangement was uh, inspired by the one that somebody named Mark Wilcox did for Six Trumpets, realizing that the uh, you needed a big pavilion to make this work with one trumpet, and it, otherwise he he thought the piece was so cool that he wanted more people. They got permission from Libby Larson to uh, create a version that didn't require a solo trumpet basically standing in a large cave. I'll and make a so, prediction that we will hear that piece again in another show within the next five years. Oh, it, it, it's a great piece. So the Corps recreated the echo effect with multiple trumpets, uh, but it's interesting to note that originally it was designed for intense reverb. I, I just, uh, I was fascinated by knowing that. And, and by the way, Jeff, the manuscript of that piece uh, is set inside a time capsule sealed in the building's cornerstone up at the huh. University of Minnesota. So it's uh, it's just a neat little thing when you hear it on the CD and knowing that it was originally written for a single uh, a single trumpet, I, I, I just found that really intriguing and it reminded me so much. Uh, Dan, you'll remember when uh, Phantom Regiment did On Air. I don't remember what year that was, but they had the uh, that opening thing in the uh, by Christopher Dean. Where they played it in the tunnel? Well, it, it sounded like they, they were playing it in a tunnel, but it was being played in the in the front ensemble, and it sounded like it was reverb, but it wasn't. It was structured so that the, the reverb was created by actual playing. There was no electronic reverb in that at all. Oh. This reminded me so much of that. And of course, their show ending with the finale from Maslanka's beautiful Symphony Number no. Four. David Maslanka, the music world, I think, still mourning his passing. Yeah. Gone way too, way too young. And the way it combined all those hymn tunes, like the Old Hundredth, which a lot of people know as the Doxology, it was just so uplifting, and and let us know that the uh, the divisiveness in the past between the ruling class and the other people uh, was. That was over. We were all one, and it had so many parallels to the core's journey over the past couple years, but very uplifting and letting us know that everything's going to be okay. Okay, let's move on to disc number one for this podcast and the third place core in 2019, 2018's champion, Santa Clara Vanguard, Vox Aversio. The voice of revolution. It was a revolutionary show in a lot of aspects. The Vanguard, one of two cores to bring a sousaphone onto the field for their show this year. That's correct. That represented the nonconformity in a typical Trump Corps. I think there were more than one representation of nonconformity in this. Oh, yeah. Show. Oh, yeah. No All doubt. right, let's, let's go over the repertoire here. This show was bookended with original music by their percussion rangers, Paul and Sandy Rennick, but in between we had uh, pieces by Thierry de Vuriel, called Fraternity. There was Audivi Medea Nocto by Oliver uh, Rossepsi. I'm not familiar with any of these, except Nothing Wait. Else Matters, of course, by yeah. Metallica. And again, uh, we had ACDC earlier, metal bands making appearances in uh, Drum Corps this year. Uh, Michael, let's start with you. Well, it was certainly, it, it, it was certainly an intriguing direction 
uh, you could see the connections with what they did with Babylon. And uh, I, I felt they didn't want to rest on those laurels. So they were stretching a little bit further, perhaps making the audience a little more uncomfortable than Babylon did, intentionally so, with all the chaos and you know the little riots of the small groups fighting each other, protesting. That you're not supposed to feel comfortable when that happens. So the, the end of that, uh, of the very beginning of the show, you, you saw the guard sliding down the poles. And what they're doing there is they're going underground. They're taking the rebellion underground into the counterculture. And uh, that's that's what's happening during the uh, fraternity section, which uh, they refer to as anger in their uh, the segment title. So you had all this screaming out in anger and frustration and rage at the beginning and we saw the guard couple, the featured guard couple that felt trapped uh, by not knowing what the others felt. Mm -hmm. And we heard the loneliness and the mellophone solo after that brass impact uh, and the isolation that comes with nonconformity. And then we, we heard that uh, baritone tr trumpet duet, which was uh, mischievous. Uh, you know, the individuals in the small groups being very mischievous as people who are very counterculture certainly are. Jeff, Michael Cesario has told me more than once that the obligation of a champion is to move the art form forward. Did you get the sense that Santa Clara took that to heart and, and really was trying to push the art form forward in their year following their championship in 2018? In a way, yes. Babylon was special. Just getting that out of the way. Babylon was a special show that changed Santa Clara Vanguard, that changed, in a lot of ways, the way we do drum corps. And uh, you saw a lot of things that, that, that um, alluded to that this year across the board. Vox Aversio was the next step in terms of um, the design style being that, that Babylon carried being taken to the next level. And also, it felt like, and someone described it to me as this, it felt like the next step in a story. Because someone described this to me, and it really struck me, that Babylon was finding your voice and Vox Aversio was using it. Wow. And I think that, when you that, think that, about that is intense. Right, oh, and when you think of it that way, and then if you take it back another year with me to 2017, Ouroboros, what was that all about? Transforming from the old to the new. Mm -hmm. So you you kind of put this new voice out there, you find it in Babylon, and you use it in Vox Aversio. Did they win again? No. Were they on the same level? I'd argue yes. I think it's easy from a fan perspective to look at Vox Aversio and be like, it's not Babylon. You know, and granted, it's not, you know, because Babylon won a championship. But I really feel like Vox Aversio, if we're going to look back in five years, and I think we're going to do the same thing with a lot of other defending champion shows that fall into this thread, we're going to look back in five years and see Vox Aversio as very similar to and very extending of what Babylon brought to both Vanguard and DCI. Any thoughts on individual musical moments in this show? Uh, for me, there, earlier in the show, there was a riff in the trombone soloist that he continuously played, and it was picked up by the rest of the horn line. That that riff was uh, one person creating a little trouble, creating a little disturbance, 
uh, being creating a little anarchy and sticking with it enough by repeating it that the rest of the core, uh, the rest of the Bob, the group, picked it up when they were influenced by that. And that was actually, if you know the little story be there, that, that, that was very powerful because that was the uh, protesters, uh, the Guy Fox being picked up by everyone else and becoming mainstream. And what, what was really, the core had set out something prior to the season that I found really interesting that, and I believe this is the point where they realized that they were actually conforming as nonconformists. So there's this point where the nonconformists become the conformists and they have to decide then, what do we do now? And that is at the point, the first time in the show, when we heard the major tonalities, those lush harmonies. I, I found that intriguing, knowing about that prior to the season, looking for that, and indeed, there it is, where the uh, people who were on the outside are now the gatekeepers. My favorite moment, though, was the, was the closer impact. The it's it's the first time this show really felt positive, and you you have um, this beautiful solo that leads into some kind of building chords, and then you just get this moment of just pure flowing brass, almost kind of like a chorale in a way, um, and then slowly but surely percussion instruments add in to create this full drum core moment, and it's it's not a company front, but it it kind of gives the feeling of one because the whole core is moving together in that halftime slow, um, very powerful sense. And then of course, from there, it comes out of that, that very just strong, pure moment into a very Babylon-esque closing with, you know, big punchy driving chords to the finish line. And the thing that stuck with me and they did this in 2018, this hits me when I love when, whenever cores can do this is just a, really cool mellophone lick right before the final chord jd shaw at his the master again, of the mellophone jd shaw without a doubt and he did it plenty of times in 2018 but there's this one in 2019 uh, i kind of want to sing it but i don't think i'm going to look for it in the audio it's dang it's, it you get this you get this final chord you i should say you get this the final chords building up to this ending cuts off two bars of percussion everyone yet in the stadium shouts vanguard and then the high brass kicks in by itself backed up by this sweet mellophone lick and then boom you get the low brass under that and it just fills out this final moment
It'll be interesting to see in 2020 how Santa Clara Vanguard follows up Ouroboros and Babylon and Vox Aversio and the next step in their evolution. All of the cores that we have reviewed today and, in fact, all of the top 25 available for audio download right now or on CD, you'll find the downloads at marchingmusicdownloads.com. They're also available on Apple iTunes and at Amazon. For Jeff Griffith and Michael Boo, I'm Dan Potter. Next time, we review Genesis, Pacific Crest, Blue Stars, and Blue Coats. Yeah.